0: And welcome back to the Masters of Modern Podcast. I'm Ben Bateman in the Ben Bateman seat. There's no Alex Kessler here, but today we have Mr. Michael Grothy, the third piece of the trifecta.
1: Hi, everyone. But, uh, it's
0: a very exciting week. Obviously, we have a brand new set coming out. Theros Beyond Death is just around the corner. We had our preview card last week. It was uh, this guy here.
1: Modern staple.
0: Field of the dead. Modern staple. Field of no. Field of
1: the dead. That's what Alex put on this. Field of ruin. You're getting. You're gonna get messed up by Alex. You have to watch out if you spend too much time with Alex.
0: Um, Yeah. So that was exciting, and uh, we're back here. We're gonna be talking about a bunch of the cool Theros spoilers. This is gonna be like almost like part one of our set review. We decided to start the set review mid-spoiler season this time, so that we weren't. Doing the thing where we did like three weeks of set reviews after people were no longer talking about the new set.
1: Right. I mean, everybody's excited about these cards now. You can see them. Why not start talking about them? Giving our first impressions of the set and what these cards mean for, you know, modern pioneer, whatever. Yeah.
0: So we've got Ruben Bressler here producing the show.
1: What's up, Ruben? How you doing?
0: Uh, better now, I think, that we're in the show. Yeah. Um, a little as producers this is not my best producer credit. I've yeah. Ever hey, it happens. It happens. Uh, but here we are. We're talking. We're talking magic cards, Magic: The Gathering. If you guys want to follow along with what the show's doing, please be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Hit that subscribe notification bell. As we grow the channel, we have exciting stuff coming for you this year. Um, a lot of big developments happening in the MMCast world. So be sure to do that. You can follow with me personally at Ben Bateman Media at Kess Wiley and at Dudar D U D
1: A R D D. Perfect.
0: We have a Facebook group you guys can go be a part of and please, please, please check out patreon.com slash the mmcast. It's the best way to support what we're doing Uh, um, and to continue to grow the show. We really do need your guys support. So thank you so much for those of you that do support. And uh, let's start talking Magic the Gathering. We've got a, a whole new set coming. Let's I think we should just jump straight in maybe with with right off the bat. Let's talk about the mechanics in Theros Beyond Death because it feels like, you know, we brought back some and then there's one in particular new mechanic People are kind of freaking out about. Yeah? So we have Devotion coming back. How'd you feel about Devotion the first time? I like
1: Devotion. Uh I mean I think it was a good bring back, better than bestower or Heroic or yep. Monstrous, for sure. I would it have to be my favorite from the original Theros. Yeah, I mean it, it like rewards you for being really deep on a color that like kind of encourages monocolor strategies, which is, I think, interesting, right? Because it's easy to just like play all the color pairs or triples or whatever and like The fact that monocolor decks become more viable in an environment where devotion is pushed means that you have like, you know, five more decks you can play, right? Or color combos, at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. Devotion, for those on audio that maybe don't know, if you're listening to the show for the first time, it's a representation of the number of colored mana symbols of one color that you control as permanents. So if you have a creature that costs white, white, and it's your only permanent on the battlefield that has a color symbol on it, then your devotion to white is two. Your devotion to all our colors is zero.
1: That. And it counts colored artifacts and enchantments and planeswalkers and whatever. So if you've got a mono white deck with a bunch of white permanents, you'll have a big devotion to white. And if the cards can reward you for that... Um, that is a good reason to be playing a monocolor deck that you might not have played earlier.
0: So second, secondly, we have coming back, we have Constellation. Constellation is basically the enchantress mechanic. So it's whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield, something happens. Um, it's usually referenced on the card itself, which is, an enchantment and then whenever an additional enchantment enters the battlefield something happens so like the older set it was like you gain a life they lose a life some of these newer constellation cards we'll be talking about but it's uh it's just a very simple kind of enter the battlefield trigger for enchantments that is great and uh for if you're if you're somebody who likes to play enchantments you know because obviously you're sacrificing the reactive sort of capability of an instant speed spell to play a kind of a clunkier permanent it's hard to interact with but if you're somebody who likes enchantments then constellations right up your alley Yep, I was always big, big fan. So it's cool that it's back. Um, we have something called Escape, which I think is the big one. Escape feels like yeah. it's the mechanic that the people, most people, are the most excited about. Yeah, um, as graveyard mechanics often are.
1: Yep, it's a graveyard mechanic, which is always somewhat dangerous. What's interesting about this one is that. More than like flashback, or uh, it's it's more like retrace because you can keep casting the escape cards. So so escape has a cost, like a mana cost. Uh, typically, I think everything we've seen so far has a mana cost, and then you exile some number of cards from your graveyard. So it'll be you know escape two red red, exile three other cards from your graveyard to cast this card from your graveyard. But it doesn't exile itself at the end of turn like on earth if it's a creature it doesn't exile itself immediately like flashback if it's a spell so if you have enough cards in your graveyard you can just keep casting these cards over and over you can just have like a recursive threat that comes a single card that comes back multiple times you can have a single spell like utility spell that you just cast two three times in a turn um yeah so escape seems like it has a potential to be pretty broken pretty strong.
0: Yeah. When I thought about escape, I started comparing it in my mind to, okay, so, you know, first of all, what are the limitations, right, based on the number? So if you have something that has escape four or escape five and you're a 60 card deck, you're going to start the game with 53 cards left in your library from the turn your first turn of the game starts. How many times are you going to be able to exile four cards, five cards at a time from your graveyard to be able to recast and redo something over and over again? Several. Definitely at least a few. I mean, it compares to, say, Delve, right?
1: Yeah, but I think it's like a combination of retrace and Delve, kind of.
0: But Delve, you're getting to save so much mana, it's not about how many times you can do it. It's pay, it's playing a Gurmag Angler one time is often enough to win the game, right? Like, Well,
1: that's why I think it depends on the escape card. You know, I think some of these, like... 4 mana to cast 6 mana to escape cards are not as exciting for modern as much as something that's say you know 3 mana to cast 4 mana to escape like the uh, Titans or yeah. something like that right or or even Elspeth where like she's just a fine 4 mana card and then you can get her back for six late in the game when you have like extra man and you're not doing anything like how many times do you really need to cast a planeswalker before Agreed. you lose the game or you win the game right <laughs> it, it
0: definitely feels like when you're talking about a card with a high power level a permanent high power level like a planeswalker that strikes me as the place where you would want to you would get the most value out of a card with escape you know like a really high power flashback spell basically but it stays on the battlefield so I think escape is pretty powerful there's definitely some really great escape cards for us to talk about
1: but yeah and and modern in particular I mean you know we're we're trying to branch out a little bit uh talk about pioneer as well because we know there's a lot of people excited about pioneer and we are too because it really is currently kind of a brewer's paradise but i think escape uh is really going to shine more in modern where you have access to the dredge mechanic you have access to fetch lands it's much easier to stock your graveyard which isn't to say that i don't think any of these cards will be playable in pioneer and we'll talk about that but when i see an escape card my first thought is you know, if I fetch on turn one and I play a Mishra's Bauble and I, you know, play right, a Thought right, Scour right. on myself and you can't do any of that in Pioneer. So,
0: <laughs> right, right, right. And I think I think that is the major difference between, say, Delve and Escape is that yeah. that Escape is not built to be that kind of a thing. Escape feels so much more like Eternalize
1: or. I mean, you you can do that, though. Like it, it's not too like out of the realm to expect to escape a three drop on turn three even if it takes four cards out of your graveyard in modern i mean like by t- by the time you have three mana you could have a bajillion cards in your graveyard right. i mean just look at a deck like um like the gurmag angler decks like hollow one or right death shadow or whatever how many cards do they have in their graveyard on turn three <laughs>
0: well i think let's start talking about some of the cards because we will actually talk about yeah, yeah, know, yeah. some <laughs> of the actual cards in question here uh, why don't we start with
1: Hmm. We've got a big list of cards here that we thought were interesting, so we got to sort through a little bit. Maybe we start with Ashiok Nightmare Ruse. You want us to start with the Planeswalkers right off the bat? Yeah, I mean, I think whenever a set comes out, it's always important to talk about the Planeswalkers, especially given the power of the 2019 Planeswalkers. We'll see if the 2020 yes. Planeswalkers can keep up. So Ashiok Nightmare Muse uh, is a five-drop Planeswalker with five loyalty, plus one created two, three blue and black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks. Uh, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Minus three, return target non lam permanent to its owner's hand. Then that player exiles a card from their hand. And then minus seven, so two pluses to ultimate. You may cast up to three face-up cards your opponent own from exile without paying their mana costs.
0: So it, com- it combines some of the aspects of old, original th- OG three-mana Ashiok. It has some of the flavor of the yep. exiling cards and getting things out of it. Its its defensive capability is basically recoil. So yeah. It's a five-mana Planeswalker that comes down on five loyalty that goes down to two to not quite recoil, but a little better than recoil in a lot of cases because exiling
1: the card instead of discarding it. It's pretty much always better than recoil.
0: Yeah. You can pretty much, you can interact with the card later.
1: Right. Yeah. It reminds me of some of the Eldrazi from battle for Zendikar where they were doing like the processor thing where you like exile a bunch of cards and then you like play your processor to like use the cards you've exiled. This Ashiok kind of does that. And what's interesting is it's any exiled card your opponents own uh, for any reason. Whereas the previous Ashiok could only put creatures in, that were exiled by Ashiok.
0: Yeah, right. Like, a, whether whether they're exiling their own things to Delve or whatnot, you still have access to it. So right. that, that's definitely an interesting aspect. I mean, it's a five-minute planeswalker. Five-minute yeah. planeswalkers <laughs> really require a lot to make an impact in anything modern or more powerful. You, you literally have to be dealing with, like... Teferi. Five mana to Teferi, those are like... Yeah,
1: and, and five mana Tezzeret and Teferi both, like ones who have seen play in modern historically, like untap mana. Yeah, So you're not really paying five for them. I mean, you're paying five, but you're immediately getting a rebate so you can interact because just like tapping five mana to tap out for something uh, in modern is generally very risky, especially if you're a blue deck, like what this Ashiok is doing. Uh, yeah i would say this card is uh on the lower power level for me so i think we can move on probably to uh, yeah it might E-max. be interesting in standard or uh, yeah I, I don't i don't know that it's got legs in eternal formats
0: yeah let's talk elspeth sun's nemesis this card's a lot more powerful in my
1: opinion yeah i agree
0: uh white white two legendary planeswalker elspeth comes down on five loyalty plus uh, sorry sorry minus one up to two target creatures you control each get plus two plus one until end of turn Minus two, create two one one white human creature tokens. Minus three, you gain five life and escape white white four, exile four cards, uh, four other cards from your graveyard. So it's got escape four, but it costs six to cast it. I think this card's fantastic. This card to me strikes me as a perfect control type of finisher. This, like, it, it, makes threats it makes those threats bigger to win the game keeps you alive if you need it to and if you just burn it as like a fog where you just
1: play it make the one ones they find a way to kill it later in the game you're able to recast it yeah it's also interesting because it's like a planeswalker that you can you know have milled off of a thought scour or something and cast it later Um, you like that's a form of card advantage right if you if this somehow got in your graveyard I'm not thinking of how a white deck would put this in their graveyard but you know if you did put it in your graveyard somehow you discarded it to something or you, it got thought seized even you could just get it back in the late game and you're like kind of drawing a card right
0: yeah i think definitely uh in a white blue control deck which i think is probably where a lot of people would consider this card to be i think this card's pretty powerful so let me ask you like Old Elspeth, 4-mana Elspeth. Uh, Not Sun's Champion, but uh, Knight Errant, the original 4-mana, which for a long time was considered in the top three Planeswalkers of all time. How do you think this card compares to that Elspeth in a basic blue-white control shell?
1: So they both win the game pretty slowly, um, I think is the reason why that Elspeth has kind of fallen out of favor in Modern. It used to get played in kind of the, like, Naya Zoo decks with Wild and the Cattle and stuff, and Curd Ape. Um... But, you know, they, neither of them are, like, rushing towards an endgame. The one thing I will say about Knight Errant is that, like, at least Knight Errant kind of, um, is a continuous value engine that never goes away, whereas this Planeswalker only minuses, so eventually you're going to have to escape her to get her back and pay a bunch of mana, um... But minus two to make two 1-1s one is pretty good. Yeah. And the fact that it gains life means that, like, it can shore up matchups against, like, Burner, against Flyers or something that, like, the old Elspeth was pretty weak against. It also, like, if it gets countered or if you play it and it just immediately eats, like, a Dread Boar or Hero's Downfall or something, like, you can escape it back. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I-, I think that escape is very powerful on this Planeswalker, and I think that the existence of escape makes it easy to underestimate this because like your opponent can never truly get rid of it. It's just a question of like if it's fast enough.
0: Well, I think one of the really interesting things about this card that's different than most planeswalkers we've seen is that it has three abilities. They're all minuses. And the way those three abilities add up together, all can basically add up to or equal to five loyalty. Exactly. So like, right. So like it doesn't have any way, it doesn't have any way to plus itself. So it's, it, it feels a little bit more like the War of the Spark Planeswalkers in the sense that you just get a limited number of uses and then it's gone.
1: Yeah, the uncommon ones.
0: Yeah, right? But all of those ones obviously had an ability once you had used up the loyalty, they stayed on the battlefield and did something for you. This doesn't have that, but it does allow you to get it back later. So I think it's a really interesting card. I like this card. It actually feels like it has the it has the utility to be to, to provide some reach
1: for kind of aggressive decks in the same way you were talking about with the old Elspeth. Yeah, I mean a four mana planeswalker that immediately makes two bodies and can make two bodies twice is like, I mean that's a lot of bodies. Yeah. If, if you you know have some incentive to go wide or if you need chump blockers, you can like chump with one to protect Elspeth and then use the other one to attack the next turn with the you know plus two plus one or whatever. So, I mean minus two to make two humans I think is pretty strong. I don't. I think this is like a little bit of a long shot for modern. Um, and I don't think that there's like a good shell for it in pioneer, although I guess it'd just be blue white same, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, pioneer is also missing some of the powerhouse planeswalkers like Jace, the mind sculptor that are competing for slots with this and night, you know, Knight errant is not in as well. So I don't know, maybe Gideon ally of Zendikar is maybe what this is realistically competing with. That's fair. And the two bodies versus one, and the escape. Maybe it gets there a little bit. Gideon kills faster because he turns into a creature, but you're trading. Consist. You're trading like staying power for speed, basically.
0: Uh, let's talk the third Planeswalker, not that I think this one is particularly good, but it's kind of like an it's a, it's a enchantment Planeswalker, yep. so to speak. Yep. Uh, it's weird that I thought they could have just made this Planeswalker legendary enchantment Planeswalker, and they didn't.
1: That would have been cool. Right? I, I, I guess it's space they didn't want to I mean, play like in yet. like Karn's not an artifact.
0: Yeah, but it's like this, especially with the ability we're about to talk about, this feels like it could have they could have just yeah. leaned into it but uh calyx destiny's hand costs white green two legendary planeswalker Kallax. This is the first calyx we've seen right new character yep new
1: character from theros
0: for loyalty uh plus one look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal an enchantment from among them and put it into your hand uh god the text is small put the rest on the bottom of your library at in random order Can i like zoom in on this is that, ah, there we go uh minus three i'm old um, minus three exile target creature or enchantment you don't control until target enchantment you do control leaves the battlefield they could have made calyx an enchantment she could have targeted she actually it's a guy okay calyx a guy uh he could have targeted himself as the thing that he had to leave on the battlefield to stay around and then he would have been basically just like a four mana oblivion ring i was i'd be totally into that why didn't they do that that makes total sense
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, he does. It's a four mana planeswalker. Plus,es draw a card. Minus, to kill a creature. Has an ultimate that doesn't do much, actually. So minus
0: seven. Return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. It has a starfield of Nyx effect, sort of.
1: Yeah, replenish. replenish. I, replenish. I mean, like that's pretty rarely going to do a lot. And in order to plus and truly draw a card, you got to be playing a ton of enchantments. I think that even if there, this set, you know, kind of creates an enchantress style deck in any format standard modern pioneer legacy whatever it's uh i don't think that that card quite has a home maybe in standard but they can't i think the power level is low
0: yeah they can't all be winners so i think uh
1: it does help you find specific enchantments um because it digs four deep and like the fact that it can come down and kill something immediately if you have an enchantment out means that like i guess maybe in standard but i don't think anywhere else
0: i think that's like a, that's a standard brew card i think it's a fringe card somebody will have a lot of fun playing um let's talk about one of the most splashy cards printed so far this is a pioneer big deal of a card and that is heliod sun's crowned white two for a five five legendary enchantment creature god indestructible as long as your devotion to white is less than 5 heliod isn't a creature whenever you gain life put a +1/+1 plus one, plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control has an activated ability of white and one another target creature you control sorry another target creature gains life link until end of turn so the combo with this card is with walking ballista right yep it's a two card combo <laughs> you give walking ballista life link walking ballista
1: as long as it has one additional counter on it to survive the hit you you just ping them. You gain one life because your Ballista has Life Link. You put another counter because you gained life. Oh and then you oh ping oh, again. oh! Got it, got it. Okay. And you use the counter that Heliod puts to ping again. You get another counter. You ping again. So you
0: so Ballista has to have two counters on it to be able to do it because it has to survive the ping. But otherwise, it just wins the game. You can give it Life Link. Yep. Two card combo. So Pioneer now has a two card combo. People have talked about this as Pioneer Splinter Twin. Uh, I've seen this people talking about it. It's not
1: cool. It's not really like. So the earliest I've seen speculated is is turn three. You play a a mana dork on turn one. You play Heliod on turn three. And Heliod is relatively safe at that point because it's a indestructible enchantment. It's not a creature. Right. Um, And then you play the Ballista for two mana, leaving one mana untapped. You play Radiant Fountain on turn three. Okay. And then Radium Fountain triggers Heliod to put the second counter on the Ballista. And then you use the Radiant Fountain and your other untapped mana, be it the Dork or whatever, to give the Ballista lifelink. Life and it's now got two counters and lifelink and you do the thing. So you need yeah, you need an exact sequence of cards and lands to be able to pull it off. It's not gonna be likely or turn common. Turn three,
0: right. But but And the I mean, mana dork.
1: Turn four is perhaps more likely, but uh, I mean, you can also get Heliot off of Collected Company. You can't get Ballista off of Collected Company, but there's like talk of that type of thing. You can in modern you can use Elidormry's Call to find Ballista, or you can use even Trinket Mage or something like that. I guess in modern you could get if you're looking
0: for possibly Radiant Fountain or Ballista. Ancient Stirrings maybe gets played in this deck. Um, maybe you know Stirrings on turn one to dig for your Ballista maybe or dig for the Incubation
1: Incongruity.
0: Oh, you know I love that card. <laughs> You always do you like to bring that card up around me and smile because that's like I think you actually think the card's bad. No, <laughs> I'm playing it in standard right now, actually. I'm but playing it in Twitter Adventures
1: it. in standard. I have such a soft spot for that card. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, and you know, it 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 does what you're looking for, right? Because you want to put ballista in your hand. Like the the big card filtering. Or tutoring stuff that we usually see in modern for creatures is collected company or like court of calling or finale of devastation, but those all put the creature on the battlefield. So it's no good for Ballista. Um, I mean, I guess you could like tutor for Ballista, put it in the graveyard with finale, and then like company into Heliod and Eternal Witness and get it. But I mean, <laughs> um, it's probably better to just put the Ballista directly in your hand. And you know, uh, once upon a time we'll do it, which is still legal in modern for now uh we'll see if it gets the axe like it did in pioneer um but yeah i mean in pioneer collected company is also legal And, and the thing about heliod is like you can build your deck in a way where heliod just does something already so you can either be like a soul sisters heavy deck where you're like really taking advantage of that ability or you can just kind of be like a green white um like a green white value collected company deck that's playing like a heliod to tutor for walking bliss is just a good card you could play four of those if you want you could even play more heliods and then you just are playing scavenging ooze Corsair of crew um you can play in modern you can play spike feeder which also goes infinite with heliod because you remove the counter to get gain two life put a counter back remove the counter gain two life yeah heliod um, is just generally good you're right with with yeah. uh with ooze especially that's that seems hot yeah 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 i mean um like healy so the thing about this combo versus splinter twin is that like deceiver exarch and pestermite are both pretty low impact on their own they do something splinter twin and kiki jiki are just like they do nearly nothing on their own i mean i guess there's historically been times when people have like put it on a snapcaster and a wall of omens or something but like they're much more niche cards than Heliot. i feel and you can just play out Heliot and kind of expect it to live for a while too yeah because it's an indestructible enchantment that is often not a creature now if you're playing it in more of a soul sisters type build um it'll be a creature more often because you have all these like little dorky one pip creatures right um but yeah i mean i think that like there's because it's two cards a white card and a colorless card there's like a lot of shells that you can just slot this two card combo in which is what the problem with splinter twin was right is that people were just slotting splinter twin into the grixis decks or into a jeskai control deck or into a you know a teamer deck with Tarmogoyf that was like a tempo like you could just slot it into any deck because the combo package was so small and it's the same with this it's it's just eight cards maybe yeah. less if you have ways of search and the list is really good And Ballista is just a good card. (laughs) Ballista is like
0: already one of the most played creatures in Pioneer. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, this is
1: modern level powerful. This is this is a real thing you can be doing in modern. So and even if you have like a hardened scales deck, like mono green hardened scales, which is a big player in Pioneer, you can just like splash Heliod. Yeah. If you wanted. I mean, I don't know if you have a ton of ways to gain life, but maybe there's a way to build that deck where that's legitimate. Right. I mean.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the rest of these gods. Uh, I think, you know, Heliod is the is the big one. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, Thassa I've seen people get excited about. Uh, Thassa, one blue, three colorless, for a 6-5 indestructible legendary enchantment creature god. Uh, as long as your devotion to blue is less than five, Thassa isn't a creature. At the beginning of your end step, exile up to one other target creature you control. Then return that card to the battlefield under your control. One blue, three colorless, tap another target creature. So... This, like, this type of effect, the sort of repeatable blink effect, very, very popular, casual type of effect. One of the most popular, right? ETB is, like, that goes down in history as, like, a blue-white blink deck is, like, one of the classic things people just like to build when they get
1: into magic. Yeah, this is this has a similar ability to Conjurer's Closet, which yeah. was played a lot in Commander.
0: Well, but Conjurer's Closet quite. costs five, and it's easy to interact with. This is hard to interact with, and it costs four. So it's definitely better in that sense. Um... I think this card's fine. This won't be a player in modern. I don't think it's a good. It's a good thing that it has the the blink ability is end of turn instead of instead of upkeep, uh, because it means you're going to get something the turn that you play it. It's a clever card. I just think it's a little expensive to be able to do the type of things in modern people want to be doing right now.
1: What do you think? Yeah, I think I think if it costs three, maybe. I mean, the other Thassa kind of got played. The other Thassa was, like, more of an aggressive card, whereas this is more of a value engine. But, like, it depends on what your deck's looking for, right? Sometimes you want an aggressive card. Sometimes you want a value engine. And at three mana, it's cheap enough that you can, you know, play it. Not just, like, have your four mana enchantment that is conditional. (laughs)
0: Do you think that uh, the fact that the tap ability is so expensive will inhibit what this card actually gets to do? Four is a lot. Yeah, I
1: just think that that's like a small bonus that's tacked on. I don't think that that's the reason you play the card. In the same way that the previous Thassa, the reason you played the card was because it was a 5-5 that you could turn into a creature reliably and it could make itself or something else unblockable. And the scry was kind of a bonus. This tap is just kind of a bonus. I mean, you'll use it sometimes to like tap down their only blocker, tap down their only attacker or whatever, but... Moving on to Erebos, Bleak Hearted. Black three for a five-six indestructible
0: god, same ability. If a devotion is less than five, it isn't a creature. Whenever another creature you control dies, you may pay two if you do draw a card. Um pay two life, sorry. That's yep. that's a significant ability. And uh black one, sacrifice another creature, target creature gets minus two, minus one till turn. So you're able to for two mana you know take out like a mana dork or some sort of a pinger pay two life to draw a card when you do it it sort of uses your two mana and two life to get an ability and draw a card i mean that's a good repeatable effect four is expensive to be able to do this but ah i mean
1: you also have to sacrifice another creature to do it so yeah i mean one thing that's nice so i mean you can play this like a carrion feeder on board and immediately sacrifice some stuff and get some value and this is a little bit different from other effects like this, which have been mandatory in the past, like Midnight Reaper or um, Grim Horror Specs is non-token creature, but it doesn't damage you. And then there's another one, Dark Prophecy or something. It's like black, black, black. Sure. Um, it's an enchantment, and it but it also deals you one damage and you draw a card like mandatory. So what's nice about this is like if you take a bunch of damage and your life gets low, you may pay two lives. You just don't have to. Yeah. Which is nice. I mean, I've I've killed people with their Midnight Reaper on Magic Arena in Standard, so like if it if you're playing a deck where you would be considering Midnight Reaper, I think it's better. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say maybe you want to play Erebus, but I don't think that's true even in Standard.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's I think there's some value to this card. I mean, I think the fact that a couple things, so it's indestructible, which yep. means that if you have a on board and you're in some sort of control deck that has an ability to not lose all of its life and to stay alive and you wrath you can lose your couple creatures maybe early that you've put on board to gain value, pay for, draw to, keep your permanent on board for like the next time it goes around. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely not the worst. It this, I don't think this card is like a modern level uh, Planeswalker sort of effect, but I definitely think the fact that it's indestructible and it has this ability to refill your hand when you wrath is pretty good. Yeah. Um, You know, I think I could see this in control decks as like a one of, but probably there's not a mono. Well, control control
1: decks, you're not going to have a lot of creatures you control dying. I mean, the place in standard that people are thinking about it is like in a mono blue black devotion deck where you're likely to turn it on, um, and you are playing cauldron cat, the the cauldron yeah, or the witch witch's oven oven cat combo. I always want to call it a cauldron, but it's not. It's no.
0: That's a good point. I I think, uh, yeah, you're probably right that there's not a there's not a deck that that's going to be doing that but i i don't know like i've there have been control decks in the past that have played like wall of omens
1: type of effect. and i think i think it's only a matter of time until we see the cat oven combo breaking out into modern i just don't know that this four mana enchantment is a part of that deck but i mean if it's a if it's a oven cat deck that can reliably hit devotion to black and get the five six maybe our shows up yeah all right let's talk about the other two gods
0: uh, we've got perforos perforos one red four colorless seven six. Enchantment creature God, legendary, indestructible, as long as your devotion is less than red. Sorry, less than five. It isn't a creature. Other creatures you control have haste. So it's got the uh, the old, uh, what's the red? Urbrask. It's got the Urbrask effect. Uh, and then for red and two, you may put a red creature card or an artifact creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So it has both the Urbrask effect and it has a through the breach style effect attached to it. Yep. Um, this card's interesting i think this card's totally interesting like i I think for three mana to be able to sneak attack something that's pretty powerful
1: totally i mean five mana is steep to get him excuse me into play but yeah sneak attack is a card that's worth worth uh paying some mana for
0: yeah um other creatures you control have haste i mean so yeah this card's good this card's good it's uh, At five, it's probably a little expensive to do anything
1: in modern. I still think you would probably be... Yeah, it's five and then three. So because it is indestructible, it's like relatively resilient to removal. So if you have time to just tap out next turn, you can play a land and get six mana and sneak in two things. And that will hopefully win you the game.
0: Yeah. It doesn't really have much to do with old Perforos, right? The ability is nothing. Mm, old yeah. Perforos, like basically... Didn't old Perforos plus two plus oh and two damage to each opponent a creature into the battlefield? Or is that... Yeah, I think this card's cool. I don't see this being a modern player. What's the best red? What's the best red? Just dis- like destroyer in uh, so pioneer, Ilharg
1: is a big one. Um, is, oh, Ilharg it's the, is it's the boar god. The you Borg. can do some. You can do some <laughs> red pantheon stuff going ah. on. Um, it's the the Boar god from War of the Spark. When it attacks, you can put any creature uh, from your hand into play. Okay. so that allows you to put in the heavy hitters, the Greasel brands, the Amricles, the whatever you want to put in. Um. Now, in, in Pioneer, I suppose you don't have access to Greaselbrand, but you can put World's Bend Worm or something like that. But yes, if there is a good way, uh, drakuseth from M20 is one that people are talking about in okay. Standard as well as Pioneer. Um, it's a 7-7 seven, seven Dragon. Whenever it attacks, you choose, I don't know how it's worded, but you choose three targets. You deal with three to two of them and four to one of them. So you can wipe your opponent's board. You can deal four to them and kill off a creature. You can...
0: Dragon Lord of Tarka. But does Dragon Lord of Tarka trigger on cast or enter? enter oh okay so dragon lord tarka i've pretty natural
1: good... ordered for dragon lord Tarka and cube before yeah so that seems like a that seems like a pretty good in block. the last week <laughs> that
0: strikes me as and dragon lord tarka is an 8 8 is that right yeah 8 8 trample flying so and, that's that seems pretty bonkers
1: and yeah. i think you and can artifact do. creatures you can do blight steel the, the classic uh that's you know your opponent has to have no blockers and that's a modern card but yeah it's a thing yeah it costs five mere, mere cool. battle sphere big fan of that one yeah <laughs> Tris- I'm a big fan of that one. Triskelivus. Right, so it's also on. interesting is you sacrifice the beginning of the next end step so you can yeah. like raise dead the creature, reanimate it or yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah. like it has a little more play to it than like exile, which is what exile. you see on these yeah. types of effects. That's nowadays fair.
0: um let's talk green god nylea keen-eyed the art on this is remarkably similar to the old nylea is that true yeah she's jumping now yeah you got uh, <laughs> green three uh same ability less than five isn't a creature it's a five six indestructible creature spells you control you cast cost one less to cast green to reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature card put it into your hand otherwise you may put it into your graveyard um i think this card is pretty bad i think this card is if it costs three mana or two mana I could see it being pushed and really cool. It costing four to reduce spells by one on the next one. And then like three to maybe hit a creature it just seems like pretty loose. Right.
1: I think it's like a standard standard cyborg card maybe like a pioneer mono green devotion sideboard card because it's like a card advantage engine if your opponent is looking to one for one you out of the game if they're like a blue white control or a blue black control or something and they're like removal spell removal spell planeswalker like and you start falling behind on cards this is going to get you back in right and it'll sometimes attack as a five six if you're like a big green deck because if you're theoretically if you're a big green deck you can spend the mana on the card draw because you have the mana it's like a sideboard card, and I don't think it's ever going to make it to modern. But I can see it as a, I think it'll be a standard sideboard player in grindy matchups, and I think it'll be maybe a pioneer standard player, particularly since there's a strong mono green devotion deck already.
0: Okay, that's fair. Um, let's talk the dryad.
1: Let's talk the dryad. It's uh, I think that's the one you want to talk about. Yeah. It's a dryad of of the Elysian Grove
0: it is green and two for a two
1: four enchantment
0: creature nymph you may play an additional land each turn lands you control are all basic land types in addition to their other types so it's a two four creature for three that has an exploration attached to it and also is a prismatic uh prismatic vista is it what was that prismatic omen. prismatic omen that's the one um vista is the land mm-hmm. yeah um so this is interesting right i mean the fact that it's a two four means it blocks that it's uh you know wrath proof something like uh anger of the gods in in uh, like you know your classic sort of three damage sweepers and it it's going to ramp you into more lands to hit your escape shift and then also makes it so your escape shift is even better um it seems pretty good to me
1: yeah Yeah, it's it's definitely worth considering an escape shift deck and like you know there's a lot of talk nowadays that like is primeval titan the best creature in modern right now and this is a card that really wants to play with primeval titan because it it works really well with valakut it allows it plays additional lands in like an amulet type deck that are playing like azusa now azusa is a little more explosive than this because two extra lands per turn this really wants to be in more of a scapeshift shell but it can be like the azusa of the of the valakut deck right
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. So Azusa allows you to play two additional
1: lands. So, like, turn three
0: or whatever, you play an Azusa. Let's just say you happen to have two more lands in your hand. You play them both. But the next turn, you're not going to have three lands to play the next turn unless you draw a lot of cards. Well, like,
1: the Amulet Titan decks are using the bounce lands with
0: Amulet. Yeah, yeah, to, to do it again, for sure. But I'm just thinking, like, if I'm thinking about ramping into a Primeval Titan and I'm not doing something crazy like the Amulet deck, but in Scape Shift, presumably you play this on turn three. You play a fourth land. Turn four, you can just play Primeval Titan. You just go land, land, Titan that's yeah. the thing you could do that seems powerful that seems like this seems pushed yeah. enough yeah i, I mean if it... you
1: go like just turn three this you can play turn four titan assuming you have all the lands
0: yeah i mean you have to have six lands <laughs> you have to have six yeah
1: over four turns i mean yeah. at that point you've got 11 cards six of them are lands it's more likely one that... of them's this one of them's titan yeah but that's assuming you do nothing right i mean i think the fact that you this survives anger of the gods was a good point by you because in a valakut deck you are probably playing red i mean this allows you to kill faster right so so i played Scapeshift for a long time you kill on on seven lands because you need for each mountain you control you need four other mountains so you need seven lands because that's two valakuts and uh five mountains no wait did i just get my math wrong no you need seven lands to for, for escape shift to be yeah, yeah. so five and then
0: no, it's 18.
1: No, no, no. It's- so it's one Valakut and six because it's for each mountain you need five other mountains. I got my yeah, Valakut yeah. math wrong. Yeah, so that's, that's 18 damage. But with this, uh, that's now 21 damage because the Valakut that you got is a mountain. And in fact, if you get two Valakuts, they are both mountains. Yep. So now you could just do uh, seven times... Couldn't you get four valutes? You cuts? do twenty one times. Yeah, you get four velicuts. It <laughs> depending on how many you're playing, right? Yeah. Like if you're playing straight green red Titan, you're probably playing four Valicuts. Four Valicutes? Yeah, so you can just you deal like so an savage. outrageous amount of damage. Yeah. Whereas before, on if you scapeshift, you need seven mana and you need to get six mountains. Yeah. So you need to you only deal eighteen. So this like makes your kill turn much quicker and in fact you can kill on with only six lands I because correct? all six of them are mountains
0: am i correct in thinking that if you hit seven lands four which are valakuts, you're doing 72 damage is that right six
1: lands <laughs> with four valakuts. So is 18 times four right it's 18 times four yeah yeah 72 sick
0: <laughs> yeah so Savage. you don't need to
1: deal that much damage but the main thing is that like prismatic omen speeds you up a full turn yeah um
0: I think the other thing too because it is it allows you to
1: kill on six lands instead of seven.
0: Talking about Titan on turn four, uh, it's actually a turn three Titan in a lot of the cases because you're going to play Search for Tomorrow on turn one of that deck in a lot of
1: cases. So that's, yeah, yeah, of so course, Search and, is going to hit
0: this for you on turn three. And
1: Castle Garenbrig can hit your Titan earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this just seems like a deck that slots so easily into Valakut primeval Titan strategies that like it's definitely going to see some modern play. And you know, maybe it's. Turns out that it's not the best Titan build, and these like weird Simic Titan decks with Field of the Dead are better, or Amulet Titan is better, and this guy just isn't better than Azusa and Amulet Titan. Yeah. But I think that this guy puts Valakut back on the menu, um, you know, at least quiet. worth worth testing.
0: So, other cards that I want to talk about. You want to talk What, about are, you, what are you excited about?
1: Ooh, yeah, let's do the Ox. I like the Ox. So, it's is, uh, is the Ox, ox of Agonis. It, it's, I would say that it's even more yoked than the Yoked Ox. Nobody's more yoked than you have ox. Have you seen him? <laughs> so it's a, uh, I guess it does have much less toughness, this ox, uh, but it's more powerful. So it is uh, ox of agonis is the card three red, red to cast four two. When it enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three cards and it has escape red, red exile, eight other cards from your graveyard and it, and en- escapes with a plus plus one counter. So if you escape it, it's a five, three instead of a four, two. Um, I mean, this card just kind of screams stretch. Uh, it, You cast it from your graveyard for the low, low price of two mana. You have to exile eight other cards, which is no problem. That's two dredges are probably putting at least eight cards worth of garbage in your deck or in your graveyard. (laughs) Not to mention fetches or whatever else. Uh, And then when it enters the battlefield, you discard your hand and dredge three times, which sounds great because you have all these stinkweed imps and crap in your hand that you didn't want anyway. You discard them and you dredge them. And more oxes, probably. And you get more oxes. Uh, yeah, I mean it. It just it seems like it slots right into dredge because red red is a mana cost that they can easily hit uh, pretty quickly, and it only takes like probably two dredges to get the eight other cards in your graveyard. Yeah, I think this this card not, feels this know. card feels like a real modern
0: dredge card. I think yeah. this is I think this is definitely playable. I think this will this will be played. I, I I'm thinking how fast that deck usually functions, and dredging this on on turn two or on turn three doesn't even seem outrageous actually
1: yeah i mean with no faithless looting like the dredge deck's a little slower it's probably more of a turn three but with like cathartic reunion and then like dredge and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. now you've got a big stocked graveyard with an ox in it but yeah i mean this seems it's not very often that they print a card that's like oh yeah definitely goes in dredge they try and stray away from cards that like obviously go in dredge because they tend to be busted the exile eight other cards makes me think that this card is not as busted as you might think in when there is not the word dredge involved. Cause that's so many cards that it's like pretty hard to bring this back. It's
0: kind of like why temporal trespass was like impossible to make work because, yeah, yeah. Like- what was it? wasn't Wasn't the hard cast on that like thirteen?
1: It's eleven, I think. 11. Blue, 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 eight.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to. Decide that anything. also requires eight other eight cards. Cards, yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like this cast from your graveyard, so you can play it in, like in Pioneer theoretically. If you have like a jund kind of Seder Wayfinder deck, you could get this in your graveyard the like speed at which you put cards in your graveyard is so much slower. And the enters the battlefield, discard your hand, draw three is fine. I mean, it's Bedlam Reveler's ability. People have played that before, but it's not nearly as impactful when you're not discarding your hand, put 15 cards into your graveyard from your library. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk
0: about the one crazy red card that everyone's
1: been talking about? The Ogwill? Sure. This card has so many possibilities. I don't know if I'm- What's it called again? Prepared. <laughs> underworld breach it is one
0: red one colorless enchantment each and on land card in your graveyard has escaped the escape cost is equal to the cards mana cost plus exile three other cards from your graveyard at the beginning of the end step sacrifice underworld breach so we mentioned escape we talked about how powerful it is it seems like a lot of the cards we've talked about today have escape in you know, there it's one of the most exciting mechanics we've seen in a little while how good is this so let's start at the top in standard this probably will have a deck that is played with it because they wouldn't design it otherwise. I, I can't imagine they would put this into
1: a standard set if they didn't think it would at least be fun to have in standard. I don't think that's true. I really? mean, they, they, they print cards for eternal formats. I mean, I think this card's most exciting applications are in eternal formats because it resembles Yawgmoth's Will, right? It it, gives all, it allows you to cast all the, all the cards in your graveyard. You got to pay their mana cost, but you got to pay their mana cost with Yawgmoth's You can't play lands. Is, you can't play lands out of your yard, though. You cannot play lands. Um... Each non-land card, yes. But you can, you know, recast your Lion's Eye Diamond or your Pyretic Ritual um, or your, your Metamorphose or whatever, right? Like, you can, you can really do some nasty combo stuff with this. The, the trick is that you got to have a huge graveyard. Um, which is one of the reasons I think lion's eye diamond is cool with this because you can replay lion's eye diamond for as many things are in your graveyard, get a ton of mana, use the mana to do whatever you want, put more cards in your graveyard, you know, who knows what you're doing at that point. Um, but what's, but that's, what's interesting about this also is that unlike Yawgmoth's will like with Yawgmoth's will, you play the lion's eye diamond, you sacrifice it, you get the three mana, it's gone. Yeah. But with this, the Lion's of Diamond goes back in your graveyard. Underworld Breach re-gives it escape, so you can just keep doing that. So in some situations where you have infinite... In a situation where you have infinite cards in your graveyard, uh, it's better than Young well because the cards go back to your graveyard where you can recast them. You can just cast Mana Morphos seven times with a Goblin Electromancer out. Granted, you got to have 21 cards in your graveyard to do that, but it's legal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we talked, about, we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the show when we were actually mentioning the, the mechanic of escape, so... If you're just trying to sort of crunch the numbers of like, all right, how how ham can you go with an escape with this? If this card is going to give everything in your graveyard escape three, that's actually one of the lower escape costs. Totally um, lower
1: than most of the cards that it's printed on.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you start with 53 cards. By the time you probably get going, you're going to have something like, I don't know, 45 cards maybe left in your deck. So if you're milling yourself and you're filling your graveyard to be able to do something crazy, you can't like storm out in a in a grape shot type of way because you won't have enough cards you you would have to <clears throat> I, it, the math would have to be quite precise to be able to like mill yourself and be able to like recast something for one damage that mills three every time over and over again so like for instance the card stitcher supplier goes extremely well with underworld breach that's like one yeah. of the best possible things i can think of that you could be doing with this if you have some way to sacrifice a creature to generate mana yeah, that's true. Is there a card that sacrifices a creature to add one mana of any color? There is,
1: right? It's, it's like, in it's in Legacy though. It's a Phyrexian Altar, so it's not legal in Modern or Pioneer.
0: It's Phyrex. It's two mana, two mana artifact, or three, three, mana? three mana artifact. And you sacrifice a creature, add yeah. one mana of any color. It's from Invasion, right?
1: Yeah, it's from Invasion.
0: Yeah. So okay, so you sacrifice him. You you mill three. You put him back in play. You mill three. So that gives you infinite mana,
1: right? Or gives you infinite escapes. Uh, well, as
0: you can cast him infinite times.
1: Yes, you can't. If you were s- well, you sack for a mana, but then you spend the mana. It's but like it, more real for like for like modern or pioneer, you can use mm. like any sacrifice outlet that's free. So you can use like Woe Strider from this set, which is a free sacrifice outlet. Yeah, we haven't seen one in a while. Or, or Carrion Feeder if you're in modern, and you can you can just sacrifice Citrus Supplier, play it for one. So You're basically putting six cards in your graveyard for one each one mana you spend which is a pretty good deal it's a good rate (laughs) well I guess three because you're exiling three so you're putting six exiling three each time that's kind of what I'm stalking your
0: graveyard you're kind of making my point he's one of the most aggressive ways that combos with this card to mill yourself because he's cheap and he gets you six for every exchange you're only gonna have like 45 cards in your deck you're only gonna be able to do it a few times before your deck's empty like you're just just just, you, you like I think the coolest thing about this effect is that it's pretty it's pretty costly you can't just yeah. do something that wants to do something twenty times you have to do something like nine times or or eight times probably to win you know like yeah, if you kind of if you kind of add you can it all still
1: up. play cards from your hand while this is going on too, yeah right, it's fair. so like you're you're still able to like you know play a thought Scour from your graveyard and mill two and it like kind of replaced the three cards you escaped for, but now you've drawn a card, you play the card from your hand, and then see so like. I don't know it's hard for me to say what the best shell for this is but it's like such a massive combo card it allows you to like do storm stuff or mill your whole deck pretty easily type stuff Um, yeah well but I think also it's the fact that it costs two and
0: okay end of turn you just sacrifice it (laughs) And and then do it again later in the game it's not like you have to the turn you cast it. You have to go crazy because at the end of turn you lose the game or something. Yeah. It's just you can do this and, and it, it can basically act as a two for one. Draw you
1: two cards or something. And yeah, then, it's true. And you'll hope maybe during, while you're comboing you draw another one and you're like, I'm just going to try again next turn. <laughs> so I think it's pretty powerful. I think it's one of the most exciting cards in the set. I, yeah. I think this will
0: probably have implications all the way down to all the way down to vintage, I would think. Like
1: I'm sure one of us will have some type of janky underworld breach brew at some point, but not during the first impressions episode. <laughs> no.
0: Um, I want to talk quickly about Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. I think Ooh. this card is super cool. Uh, it got spoiled this morning, I believe. Yeah. Uh, blue-green one legendary creature, Elder Giant. It's a 6-6. When Uro enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you gain three life, draw a card. Then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. It has escaped blue blue green green exile five other cards from your graveyard so i think the escape cost of four is fair i think four mana to get a six six that gets you a land a card and three life is really good um you have to have five to do it but i i love the cost of this card i think this card is beautifully designed i think it's super cool i love that early in the game you're going to spend three to ramp gain three and draw a card seems like a risen reef seems totally
1: fair yeah right yeah It is like a risen reef that escapes later. What's interesting about this card to me is like you need to be kind of a blue green spell based deck so you can reliably escape. And then this is like the win con for your spell based deck because when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you get all this value. So this is like a win con for a deck that can reliably put five cards in the graveyard. And then you just keep putting cards in the graveyard and just escape this a bunch of times like if they kill it you just escape again and then you know you just have this resilient threat that keeps coming back and generating value and hopefully it eventually kills them because you don't want to play this in a creature deck because it's tougher for you to get five other cards in your graveyard if you're like playing permanence
0: yeah i would agree i think um I like the idea of, the, yeah, this being in sort of a blue-green, like a blue-green tap-out spell-based tempo deck, maybe. Uh, this I could I could experiment in, in, with this. This one of those, like, boomerang-style decks that I'm always so fond of. Or just keep bouncing your land on turn two and then on turn three. But uh, I, I definitely think this is one of the cooler cards. I also yeah. like the
1: creature type a lot. Elder Giant is sick. Yeah, Elder Giant is sick. Yeah. I mean, you can Collected Company into this. But again, like, if you're playing Collected Company, you want a super high creature count. And it's going to be tough to get to escape mana. So then it's just like kind of a weird little draw card, gain three life, maybe play an extra land attached to your collected company, which is not as appealing as like, you know, being able to escape it multiple times.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this feels like, it, in, so this card feels to me like when I imagine how this is going to play in standard, it's going to fit right into the same shell of these bigger mana blue-green decks that we've already been seeing in standard. Yeah. The, the Risen Reef decks that play Crasis, that, you know, like... Yeah, or they, like the
1: Nyssa decks.
0: They're playing the Cavalier and everything. Yeah. Like they're just they want to just resolve big things. Uh, this yeah, and like the
1: Cavalier puts the five cards in your graveyard, so that's why people are really excited about Cavalier. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know I have to say, and we talked about this, I think, one of the last episodes, but it never fails to amaze me how the cycles of mythics in core sets, going back to the Titans, and then obviously, uh, I guess they're not always in core sets, but you know the Gear Titans, Hulks. the Gear Hulks, the Cavaliers. Uh, I'm forgetting another one. Another one of these cycles that no, there was. There's a bunch of them. Um, it never fails to amaze me how, in standard, even if I think they're not that good, they always see so much play. They always do. Like,
1: well, it's. I mean, Wizards design them to be played. The Cavaliers. Yeah, or just in general. I think whenever they design a set like a cycle of mythic creatures like that, they're they're meant to get played. Yeah, they have to
0: be powerful enough for people to want to play them.
1: Yeah, I think like those kind of become marquee cards that people latch on Like this is, you know, one of the big blue mythics I want to be able to play. Like obviously Planeswalker is usually first on people's list, maybe legendary creatures after that. Yeah. And then beyond that, people are looking at like big, splashy creature cycles. And I think that they make sure that when you look at those three things, you're looking at, you know, the marquee legendaries of the set that are on the packs and stuff. You're looking at the Planeswalkers and you're looking at like the big, cool mythic cycles. Yeah. They they don't disappoint absolutely and I think the gods like for standard uh, do that but you know not so much for the formats we like to talk about (laughs) yeah All
0: right, guys I think that's going to wrap up part one of our set review here Uh, we talked about some of the ones we're most excited about we'll do some more on the next episode try to uh, maybe we'll wait one more week and sort of do the second part of it after the full spoiler hits so we can make sure we cover the second half but uh, we, yeah, we'll will, see. we will definitely get to the rest of the cards in Theros Beyond Death once Alex Kessler is back. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Ruben for sticking around, for engineering and producing the show today. Michael, thank you for showing up and being knowledgeable and handsome.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you
0: for being handsome, appreciate that, Michael. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all for supporting the show and for watching. Go to patreon.com slash themmcast. If you guys want to support what we're doing, click that subscribe button if you if you want to support the YouTube. And uh, if you got seven YouTube notifications about us going live earlier today, we apologize. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you at the same time, at same place next week. Bye, everybody. This has been a
1: production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.